Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. Stories like we were talking about, they uniquely shape our longings. We can kind of create a false tension. I think C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote, he says, reason is the natural order of truth, but imagination is the organ of meaning. Listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Welcome to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, and this is episode 21. I've been eagerly awaiting this chat with today's guest for some time. But before we get to him, I'd like to thank all of you who have taken the time to leave an iTunes rating or review. The time you take to rate the podcast there goes so far to helping the show flourish, and I really appreciate each of you who take the time to do that. Honestly, clicking over to iTunes and reading those is one of my very favorite things to do. So thank you so much for that. If you love the podcast, you're going to be over the moon happy about the Read Aloud Revival membership site. There you're going to find a stable of helpful video workshops from the revivalers you love most. These workshops range from 20 minutes to over an hour, and they include printable workbooks and easy-to-navigate interfaces to help you develop the skills and the practical know-how you need to take building your family culture around books to the next level. Adam Andrews, a big-time listener favorite from Episode 2 of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, has a workshop in there about how to build the perfect reading list for your family. Janice Campbell, author of Excellence in Literature, has created a workshop for us called How to Read a Classic with Your Teen. Other workshop creators include Andrew Pudua from the Institute for Excellence in Writing, Heidi Scoville, a listener favorite guest from episode 10. She's walking us step-by-step through the process of setting up a parent-child book club and lots of others. More workshops are going to be added every month all through the year. There are, of course, a bunch of other wonderful resources going into that membership site for you as well. You can find out more about the membership site at readaloudrevival.com, or you can head straight there at readaloudrevival.me. Now, let's get today's party started. I have been gushing about S.D. Smith's brand new book, The Green Ember, since I first laid my eyes on it. My kids and I read it aloud, and it was just absolutely wonderful. S.D. Smith, well, I'll just call him Sam, runs the Story Warren website. They have articles and resources there to help parents foster imagination in their kids and give practical resources like book, music, and movie reviews, and even provide short stories, poems, and songs for kids who love a good story and a leap down a rabbit hole of their own imagination. Honestly, I can't think of a group of people I'd rather have on my side, and the folks at Story Warren are just that. They're our allies in imagination. If you follow me on Facebook, on my blog, or pretty much anywhere, you've heard me rave about Sam's new book, The Green Ember. It's really unprecedented in modern literature, I think. We'll talk about The Green Ember a bit with Sam himself, so let's just welcome Sam to the show. Sam, welcome to the Read Aloud Revival. Thank you, Sarah. It's my privilege and honor to be here. I'm a big fan of yours and of the show. Uh, We love it as a family, and I'm so grateful for you having me on. Oh, well, I'm really, really grateful you've made time to chat with us because I've been wanting to talk to you for a while, so this is going to be fun. I hope so. I hope it'll be fun. Well, tell me a little bit about your family and so our listeners can hear a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, my I have uh, one wife. Her name is Gina, and she is wonderful. She's the kind of the heroic heart of our home. And we have four children. Our oldest is almost 12, and her name is Anne. And she's a wonderful, voracious reader, excellent little girl. And I have a little illustrator named Josiah. He's, he's nine years old now. 
and he's kind of a illustrator, a filmmaker in the works with his little Lego stop motion stuff. And then Micah is six. He is actually, he's almost six. He'll be six in a couple of weeks. He's our little soccer player, a wonderful little boy. And then Nora is, she just turned three yesterday, day before yesterday. Oh, she is kind of the person that keeps us all on our toes. She's hilarious, kind of insane, uh, <laughs> super funny. We sometimes post pictures and little videos of her on Facebook. And I love kind of seeing she, those, yeah. <laughs> she has this kind of international following, you know, that uh, <laughs> far exceeds uh, the rest of us. She's just, she's hilarious. She's kind of nutty and really funny girl. So that's our family, and uh, we, we're all big readers for the most part. And Nora doesn't read a lot, but she loves to be read too. And she often demands to be read to uh, regularly, but we're, we live in, in snowy right now, West Virginia. Very good. And you created the StoryWarn website. So tell us about the StoryWarn. What's that for and why did you create it? Okay. It's, it's hard to make a short answer on yeah. this one, but, I, but I'll give it my best. StoryWarn, it's a team of allies, like you said, it's working together to help parents foster a holy imagination at home. And I think the reason that we started StoryWarn had to do with probably a lot of tensions, a lot of things that I felt like were needs in the culturally and like personally for me. I thought back to what I wish sort of that I would have had as a child. And uh, just I know that, that being a parent can be kind of a lonely thing. It can be kind of a it can be a daunting thing. On, on the one hand, I think for Christians, we feel like on one hand, there's sort of a counterculture of art that is sort of deemed as safe for the whole family. And, and sometimes I think that that's actually kind of dangerous in okay, a way. I'm glad you said that. I'm hoping, I was hoping we could talk about that. I've heard you say that before. I think there's that's a complicated issue. But I think for me anyway, I kind of sometimes maybe I feel maybe I oversimplify and say, oh, there's, there's that whole mess of stuff that's safe and tame and not very challenging, not very realistic. It's And then on the other hand, we have sort of a toxic world where you know, you just watch a few minutes of an awards show performance of singers and you, you realize that the art that we're celebrating culturally is, is regularly really perverse and kind of base. And, and that makes its way naturally, of course, into media for children, you know, just looking at the dolls at the store and you can kind of see and yeah. people made a lot of pointed that out. You know, that's just obvious. I think that's we can take that for granted. But and that makes its way, its way into literature as well. So anyway, I think whether it's completely realistic or it's just sort of how we feel. And I think there's probably some truth to both of those, but there's those sort of two poles. And I feel like, oh my goodness, there's just nowhere to turn. I have felt that way. And I think we created StoryWarn as kind of a way to be with those parents that are in, sort of in that gap. And, you know, with this sort of perverse and base art, we can look at that and say, and just get really upset and sort of spend our lives protesting or you know, carry the big sign that says no, 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 and, and sort of live our lives with a no, no, no. But we don't want to spend our lives doing that. We don't want to spend our lives saying no and arguing about the no and making the case for no. Yeah. Even though I think there's value in that. I do think that's a calling for some people. But we wanted to look for a yes and to help connect families to a yes. And uh, I tell the story before, I've told the story before, but I remember where I was when I first read The Lord of the Rings as a teenager. And, and uh, I'm going to have to just go ahead and confess now that I was not a big reader as a child. <laughs> and uh, I feel like actually part of creating Story Warm, Story Warm was sort of hoping to address that lack for a lot of boys. Um, yes. I feel like that's, that's true for a lot of boys. And I think we're paying for that in a lot of ways, like with the kind of men that we are. And I include myself in that. So I sort of want to see that change. But I, I remember where I was when I first read that book. And there's this part which will probably be familiar to a lot of your listeners, where it's the Siege of Gondor and Minas Tirith is being attacked by these just hordes of orcs. And there's just a hopelessness and a doom in the city. And the gate has been broken down and the Witch King has entered the city and he's poised to attack Gandalf, the great, this, this great wizard. But they're, they're hopeless. Their ancient allies have, have let them down and they haven't come. And so they're all, there's just doom and gloom. And then... Right at this moment of this horrible doom, they, they hear the horns. They hear the horns of Rohan, and they know that their allies are coming, that they have come, and uh, they know that they're not alone. And that moment, I just remember how I felt. Oh, the horns of Rohan. Wow. Help is on the way. Mm -hmm. And I guess I just 
parenting can be so hard and so lonely and so challenging, particularly in this area, I think of, of media and literature and stories and imagination, that I wanted Story Warren to be an ally like that. I wanted us to not to be the heroes of the tale or anything, but a help that was there. People would feel, I mean, when I read C.S. Lewis, I just think, oh, there's the horns. I hear it. I hear it when I, when I listen to Andrew Peterson, yeah. when I listen to the Read Aloud Revival, you know, when we read your book, Teaching from a State of Rest, when we are friends from the Circe Institute, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you know, when, when, when I hear Slugs and Bugs, Children's Music by Randall Goodgame, when, these, when I hear these things, I feel like I hear the horns and I know that we're not alone. And it's just, it's so, so encouraging. And so I wanted us to be a place where people would make those connections, uh, where they would be able to find allies and where we would be an ally and a connecting kind of presence in their lives. I wanted to be, one story wanted to be a place that was positive sort of still firmly within the, the resistance movement, if you will, to <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of the vapid perversity of much of modern culture. But I wanted to get on the offense. Frederick Douglass said that it's, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Mm, oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I, I just love that. And that's what we want to be about. I mean, I, I do think there's a place for the no. I think that's important. And I don't want to be just, you know, blindly sort of Pollyannish about things. But I, I feel like our calling is to construct. And again, you, you I think you, you know, Zach Franzen. Yes. He's, he's going to be on the show too here in a few weeks. Oh, he's great. I mean, I would just, if you're, if you're listening to this, I would just stop this one right now and just wait for Zach because he's, <laughs> he's way smarter. I feel like when I talk to Zach, I feel like I'm going to college. He's just, he's so smart. But Zach said this wonderful thing that I feel like is so central to what we're doing. He was kind of dealing with the idea of rebellion and how the, the culture is so steeped in rebellion right now. And, and he said, construction is the best way to rebel against the established rebellion. And uh, I've just kind of taken that on as a mantra. Like It's easy to see the destruction and it's easy to, to sort of wail and moan and lament about that. And, uh, and again, I think there's a place for that. But something that's really powerful you can do is create and construct. And so I think Story One is a place where we are about construction, that we want to point kind of a giant foam finger at truth, beauty, and goodness. That's what we want to do. We, we want to point that out. And we want to, well, I feel like stories get at our affections in a way that nothing else does. I and agree. That's, that's, mm-hmm. that's where our imagination comes in. So that's what's important. So I feel like we want to, I don't know, we want to come alongside parents in a place where it's, I feel like the line is a little bit weak in the war. We've got a bit of a weakness there. And so we want to come and be a support in that area. And we want to sort of address where children, everyone, where we make our decisions in the place that we love, in our hearts, in our affections, in our imagination. And of course, that's all ultimately kind of tied into the kingdom of God, because that's the end and aim of all our art. The kingdom of God is our family's heart. That's who we are. And so we want everything that we do at StoryWorn to sort of be soaked in this anticipation for the kingdom of God, that anticipating the kingdom of God in family life, culturally, that impacts the way we live now, because we're looking forward to something that's very real. And that's kind of the height of truth, beauty, and goodness. So we think, well, let's live like that now. Let's live like an outpost for that future kingdom that's coming. And so, so the kindling imagination, I sort of wanted the phrase, I, mean, I love allies and imagination mm-hmm. as a, sort of our little tagline, but yeah. I, I love, and nobody else loves this, but I love kindling imagination for kingdom anticipation. Oh, I think I saw that on your site too. And I really liked that as well. Well, your work there, your work there is so important. And I'll tell you what, every time I get the Warren and the world in my inbox, your newsletter in my inbox, I get goosebumps at the end when you say, we're on your side. And I think it's because it speaks to that real need that we feel as parents, exactly like you were just saying, kind of a loneliness or a what do we do now? So we we see these kind of two dichotomies in literature and art culturally, you know, the perverse base kind of stuff that culture at large is, you know, worshiping more or less. And then the other side, which really intrigues me because I hadn't been able to put my finger on it, but you said too safe. And neither of these is speaking to our need as humans or the real beauty of, oh, I don't know how to describe it. You just described it so much better than I ever could. But I think it's a story, Warren, you're really meeting a need there that I haven't seen. It's just striking a chord with me that hasn't happened before. So yeah, allies and imagination. That's exactly, I feel like that's what I exactly what I feel like the work you're doing is, is I feel like you are my ally as I'm sort of diving into books and the culture with my kids. 
it feels so encouraging to know that there is this other group of people doing the same thing in their own home. Well, that's very gratifying. That's what we want to do. And honestly, you know this, I think, because a lot of your what you're doing resonates with the same people. I mean, I, like I said, I, I am I do have a, a soft spot in my heart for fathers and for men and for boys. I feel like our main audience is moms. And I, I think that's just that's fine. That's great. And I have a, a tremendous heart and a burden for moms who are tired and who are weary and who are worried. And I feel like one thing that you do so well is that you speak to them and you tell them that it's going to be okay, that we need to rest, that you need margin. And these really, really important messages that I like would kill, you know, <laughs> to have my wife, you know, get deep into her soul. And she is getting it. And part of that is because of you. And, and so to just to come alongside in this area that's challenging, I think for a lot of us, and I, and I feel like we can, you know, it would be wrong to look at us. At Story One is kind of the experts. I think we've got a good team, and I think Carrie does a great job with War in the World, and we've got wonderful writers as part of our team. But we, we're the same kind of people. Like I feel the same way. This is, like I said, this is born out of a need that I have felt in my own soul, my own life, our own family life, and and really, that's part of the mission. Is is I think about well, what do we need? Well, let's do that. And I think about that with storytelling, with with everything. It's I think. There was a famous quote by Kurt Vonnegut, which is a little off color, so I won't say it in, in, in its detail. <laughs> but the idea was that it basically, if you try to write something for everyone, you'll end up writing for no one. Mm. But if you try to aim at somebody, then it might kind of reach the whole world. And so that, that's the Green Ember was from our kids. And Story Warren is kind of for our family. That's what we need and what we want. And that, I'm so glad that, that the, we're on your side. That resonates with you because that's our heart. I just feel like parenting is hard it is, <laughs> and, yeah. and being a mom is exhausting and being a dad is challenging in so many ways. And we want to come alongside and say, hey, this isn't everything, but it's something. And uh, we've got a cold glass of water for you. Hopefully some kind of a feast we can invite you to and, and relieve you in some ways and give you cheer and encourage you because the parents are, are doing the, they're the ones making war and we want to just be with them while they're doing it and be a help. So I'm, I'm glad that's resonated. That, that means a lot to us. That's our heart. Well, let's talk a little bit about the green ember. So tell us about what Gonna throw a five thousand links in the show notes. So if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you can go to the show notes for episode twenty one, and you'll be able to find the Green Number in paper copy for your Kindle. There's an excellent audio version out. This is a book you're definitely going to want to get your hands on and share with your kids. But Sam, for now, let's talk about writing the Green Number. So what prompted that? Where did that all begin for you? Like everything else, almost it seems like it started at home. It's it was a it was a tell aloud story before it became a read aloud. It, it started. We lived kind of in the country in West Virginia, and uh, we I would sit on the porch with my my twelve year old daughter, almost twelve. She was probably I don't know three four. She was just a little a little thing, and we would sit on the porch and we would watch the animals, deer and and rabbits and that kind of thing in, in the yard and. We took kind of a special interest in some rabbits, and I would kind of tell her these sort of really childish stories about the rabbits. And I it sort of started this adventure. And as and I would do, we're all always improvised on the spot, and probably not very good. But as she got older, those stories just she kept wanting more and more of them, and so they grew and grew. And then our second child, our our son, he came along. He was old enough to listen to stories, and so started telling the kids basically stories sort of about themselves in a way like parents often do. And the story kind of grew over time and they, and as they wanted more and more, I realized that, and as the sort of the serial carried on, I realized that the stakes needed to be raised. And so they, they, they but they always loved them and it was exciting. So we kind of take walks around our neighborhood and I'm telling more and more stories more and more. And it would kind of get bigger and grander as it went on. And, and before long, we kind of had a, pretty complete narrative with a lot of history and that kind of thing. And so that was always my my dream to write it down for them. And they always kind of asked me to do that. And it changed over time and it got deep and it, the, the peril kind of deepened and it got deeper and deeper. So eventually that's what became The Green Ember. And so when I sat down to write the novel, I knew kind of the beginning and I knew the end of the at least this story. 
and I didn't exactly know it was everything that was going to happen. And a lot changed and a lot developed as I wrote it down. But that story was for my kids, and that was the beginning of it. And I've always thought if they love the story, then that's that's all the reward that I need. And it's been very rewarding because they do. And it feels like it's our story as a family and uh, sort of other people enjoying it, which is so exciting to us. It feels like just something that we're sharing with other families. Oh, that's so great. And one of the, I think I've quoted this quote of C.S. Lewis's like in five podcasts. <laughs> people are probably getting tired of hearing it. But he has this great quote where he says a good children's story. Well, now I can't even remember it well enough to quote it exactly. But basically, a children's story that's just enjoyed by children is not a great children's story in the slightest. And I think your book is a perfect illustration of children's story that appeals to me as the parent it speaks to me. And I'm so engaged and interested and thrown in to what's happening and what that possibly could mean for my own story as my children are. And so I think it is really a whole family thing. So I can very much picture you telling the story to your kids and having it be your family's thing, your family's story. It's not hard for me to imagine that. <laughs> That's probably been, been one of my favorite things. Like, I, I, you know, I'm new to this author thing. So you'll have to give me some pointers about how to... <laughs> Uh, how to navigate these waters. But one thing I, that's just without a doubt, and there's things that are exciting and then they get kind of, you know, difficult or hard. There's all kinds of ups and downs. But the thing that's consistently that I've, I've loved is hearing from children, you know, getting their letters and their drawings of their little rabbits with swords. And I've just, I've loved that. That just gets me going. So, so it just gets in my heart and, or parents will send me pictures of, or post on Facebook of a, of a child, this beautiful child holding the book and with a big smile. So I love, I love when the kids resonate with it. But the only thing that maybe like goes beyond that is hearing that families enjoyed it together. That's just, and I think that's what you're fostering this sort of this neglected, forgotten, old tradition of families in receiving stories together. And I love that so much because I feel like stories, like we were talking about, I feel like they just, they shape our affections. They shape who we're going to be. And to share that sort of intimate soul shaping activity with your parents and with your family is such a gift and to even get a hint that that's happening. And I've, I've heard from other people too, that that's sort of happened with the green ember. And that, that is so gratifying because I like the story and I, and I agree with C.S. Lewis that sort of fairy tales, I think he said that someday you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. And uh, mm -hmm. man, I love that. And I think there's a timeless quality to that that makes a connection to people that's so special. But boy, to think that there are families enjoying this book together and that everybody is sort of enjoying it. I mean, that's the sweet spot for us. There's several things like the Narnia books and Randall Good Games music is Slugs and Bugs music and several other things that just kind of hit our whole family that we all think is funny, that we all think is good. Yeah. And I, I, there's nothing like that. I mean, because so, so we can all enjoy it together. I feel like in an age that's so, what Ken Myers called, let me call it, he said we're an autocultural as in we're, we're not necessarily multicultural, we're autocultural in that we all sort of have our own individual cultures and that we're made for community. We're increasingly isolated, even by sort of the enabling of technology that we can, we get our own news feed, we get our own music, we have our own, everything, that, our own websites. And yeah. our everybody has their own device and their own world, kind of, they're all, it's kind of rare to share those things as a family anymore, right? Yeah, and it's kind of an echo chamber. We we kind of we find the blogs that think like us, and so we just we're almost. I think for children, particularly with, with a lot of of their, I guess, senses, a lot of their abilities, sort of not yet shaped to isolate them, is so dangerous. And that's dangerous for any of us, obviously. So enjoying things together, I feel like I'm so grateful for what you're doing. It's definitely inspired us to focus more on doing read alouds together and. So yeah, it, that anybody would be enjoying the Green Ember in that way is just like that is like hitting a grand slam for us, man. It's just so exciting for us as a family. We love to hear that. It's super encouraging. Well, when you were just talking, it reminded me of when I was reading aloud. It was all of us. The whole family was in the family room and I was reading. It was toward the beginning of your book. I don't want to give anything away for people who haven't read it yet. But there's this one point where the characters are lost. And you'll remember, <laughs> you'll remember this, Sam the little witty line that Small says about math. Oh my goodness. I read that line and the entire family erupted. And I just sort of looked over the book at my husband and our eyes met. And it was sort of electrifying. It was one of those moments where I thought, this is what we're doing here. It was just one of those beautiful moments that I hoped I never forget, that I hope is engraved in my mind forever because it was 
one, it, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it except to say I felt like this is what we're supposed to be doing. This is exactly it. This is the point. So I knew me being bad at math and making math <laughs> jokes in the book would would re- yield incredible benefits. <laughs> well, you immediately made an ally of my children because they thought, hey, this man gets me. <laughs> it's great. Oh, we're, we're there. Believe me, our family is there too. It's, I'm try- we're trying to not, I mean, you listen to Andrew Kern talk about math and I'm just like, man, this is, uh, I know we should be loving this. And I, I know, I understand that it's a problem with me. It's not, exactly. a, it's not, it's not math. It's me. But yeah, we're definitely there too. <laughs> yes, definitely. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Okay, well, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is what your personal approach or philosophy was about teaching children character or virtue through stories. So I feel like there's sort of these, well, in a lot of the places that we go for stories that build character or virtue in our children, they come from sort of a didactic approach, almost like the, I guess to describe it would be to read an Aesop fable and how there's the moral at the end, (laughs) you know? Here's the story, and this is what you're supposed to be thinking about it, which, of course, speaking of Andrew Kern and the Circe Institute again, always tells us, do not read that moral at the end of the story. Ask your children and talk about it, what they think the moral is, because that will be so much more fruitful. But I'm just curious as to know what your personal approach is with your own children as a father when you're trying to use stories to help build up truth and goodness and beauty in your own children and form their souls. I think that's a wonderful question. And I don't know the answer to it. So let's move on to the next one. Um, (laughs) I I can just tell you sort of where I am with that. I've kind of gone, you know, back and forth on this over the years. I feel like I'm better spot of understanding that now, but it may be hard to to communicate. But I I feel like it's the same stuff. We're we're tempted to react to kind of overcorrect from either really a highly emotional experience. That's all just stories, stories, everything, just feel whatever. And sort of a dead intellectual one, like these are the facts. Let's reduce this story down to the moral. Yeah, uh, right. I think the answer is in how we're created. You know, what, what kind of creatures are we? We're beings of both intellect and imagination. So we need both. I do think that stories like we were talking about, they uniquely shape our longings and that we we can kind of create a false tension. I think C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote, he says, reason is the natural order of truth, but imagination is the organ of meaning. And I'm not a big fan usually of like heavily didactic stories in most settings. I think there are places where that's great. I think we have kind of, I think sometimes some of the people that that I really respect and sort of some of the crowd that I'm in who really love story, they almost have swung the other way and and almost think of it as a crime to explain anything to children. (laughs) And and I I think that's sort of dangerous too. I I think as far as if you you know real children, like real children have lots of questions. And and I think it's it's one way to love them is to answer those questions and to explain things to them. And I'm a big fan of like sort of explaining up anyway. I I like, I think uh, using big words is, is good around kids. I think that we should explain up instead of dumb down. And explain so I, I, up. I have not heard that 
phrase before, but that's such a good alternative to the dumb down. Instead of dumbing down, we should be explaining up. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I wrote a, I wrote a post about that at Story Warren. Oh, um, I'll find it. Okay. But it's yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm a big fan of that. I think I think using big words is good. I don't think you need to say animal doctor. I think you can. It depends. Obviously, again, this is kind of hard to nail down. But I think you say veterinarian. You say what's a veterinarian? It's an animal doctor. Yeah. And I think you build. I think vocabulary is a way to enhance imagination. So I think vocabulary is important, and explaining up is yeah. I think it's just, it's really crucial with kids. So I love the idea of explaining and I, and my kids will sit around and it's, it's one of their favorite bedtime or chores sort of stalling techniques um, because you know they'll sit around and let's ask daddy questions. You know, they know that if they, they can ask anything about history or theology, the Bible or sports and you know that I'll start uh, <laughs> that I'll just keep going and going and going. But they love it. And I think it's kind of I don't know. I know people, we need mystery. We need stories and we need to leave some mystery there. And I'm, I'm for that. I love that. You know, when, if we're sitting with our children and we're, we're opening up history to them, we're opening up language to them, we're, we're opening up our culture, what we love, we're opening up God's word to them. There's, I mean, I, I love the Bible. I've been sitting with the Bible my whole life. And I, and I love it. There's, there's nothing, nothing more compelling or interesting. I think it's so fascinating. I think it's incredible to imagine that schooling or the education robs people of the pleasure of the Bible or of literature. I think it's, it's insane that we hate Shakespeare, or that we hate Bible class or something. It's that just, unima- I mean, what we do, we regularly do, but how do we accomplish making something that's so profoundly interesting into something that was regularly dismissed as boring is just beyond me. Right. Um, but I've done it, and I know I'm in them among the people that do that. I understand. But the Bible is so amazing, and and, and we're going to be explaining things. So I, th- I think I love explaining. I think explaining is wonderful. I think it's great. But you know, I'd say it's different in different settings. But I think a novel, if it's filled with a lot of secret messages to instruct, usually. And it makes for a pretty bad story. Uh, yes. Not always, but almost always. Tolkien talked about this. I can't remember the exact quote, but he basically talked about how much he hated allegory and talks about how allegory is sort of, it's the willful domination of the reader by the author. Interesting. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think what he did and what he did so well, masterfully, and you know, there's no, everyone tries to imitate him, but he's got no equal, of course. But, you know, people... What I think what he did is he invited us into a world. And I mean, I've I've probably never, I don't know if I've ever read something that's impacted me spiritually as much as The Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's profoundly spiritual, profoundly truthful, full of goodness, full of beauty. It helped me to see things that were in the Bible that I didn't, that I never saw before. Just because when I saw them in, in his setting, you know, some old ideas, chivalric ideas, the beauty of kings and something that our modern world is kind of like, oh my goodness, this is such an affront. You know, but in, in that setting, you think, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, I mm-hmm. see a king. I see a king. He's lordly. He's important. People, you know, bow to him. People love him. But what does he do? He sneaks in and he heals people. He doesn't, he's humble. He doesn't take what's his before. So I just, it enabled me. It gave me eyes to see what was in the Bible. And I think that was there. And I don't think it was in Tolkien's really sort of heavy-handed, like, I'm going to teach you about Jesus now. But right. if you read his writings, it's it's there. It's all the way through. And he, he talks about stories bubbling up from the leaf mold of our minds. And, and I feel like that he, what he did is he faithfully did that. He faithfully sort of delivered the story that bubbled up from the, the leaf mold of his mind. And I feel like when we try to sort of take the story, I don't know, I'm thinking of a metaphor that's probably going to come off terrible, but I'm thinking of like a bucking bronco. And we try, when we get that thing under control, and we just sort of quietly walk where exactly where we want it to go, and it's only control, it's kind of boring. But there's a sort of adventure where you don't, where what you feel and love and your assumptions come through, but it's not all, you know, it's not all just strictly ordered and set on giving a person a message. I feel like, you know, like a great teacher, I think there's this quote, I can't remember what it is, but just something to the effect of great teachers don't teach their subjects as much as they teach themselves. Oh, wow. Okay. I haven't heard that one before. Okay. It's Frederick Frederick Buechner, I think. Okay. And I probably got it wrong. But basically, I feel like that's what we do. We teach ourselves. We don't necessarily, it's not just the facts. And I think that in a great story, when I read Indy Wilson's stories, I'm not 
looking for his lessons, but his assumptions about the world, about the way God made the world, they come through. I mean, so if you read Notes from the tilt wall his wonderful nonfiction book, and you read his 100 Cupboard series, which is just amazing, it's the same kind of thing, and you can see the same things in both, but it's not a dominating, it's not a heavily didactic, it's not heavy-handed. He's not trying to master us. I think he's inviting us into the world as he sees it through his stories. And it's almost more powerful because, it, again, it gets at our affections. It gets at our, where we make our decisions about what we love. And so I think there's such an amazing place for that. I think there's a, probably a better place, a cure for kind of the situation we're in would be to seek a, a better balance of that old triad of virtue, the truth, beauty, and goodness. So I think that it's sort of the teaching and the sort of the storytelling, they go hand in hand. I think as, as Ecclesiastes says, it's good to lay hold of the one and not neglect the other. I think we do need to go for the heart. I think the heart is where the affections are moved. I think yeah. good storytelling, it aims for the heart and it carries the mind in the same action. So I feel like we do need to go for the heart. And I feel like that's an area where we sort of, I don't know if I can speak for sort of like generally conservative people or mm-hmm. religious people or Christians. I think sometimes we've loved truth so much that we've scorned beauty, we've scorned grace. And I feel like we need to lay hold of one and not neglect the other. And uh, I feel like good storytelling is dripping with truth, but it goes for the heart, it goes for the affections. Well, I love how you just sort of juxtaposed the invitation, inviting your child into this world of beauty and truth and goodness and letting that truth and goodness and beauty soak right into your child instead of sort of didactically heavy handing the, you know, wanting to control it all and make sure that they get exactly what they're supposed to get. It just seems to me, it seems to me like the difference between sort of wagging our finger at our child or Hmm. trying to hit them over the head with all this truth we want to make sure that gets into them before they leave our home or sidling up next to our child and sort of hooking arms and being our children's allies really is what it kind of makes me think of. So, so when you wrote The Green Ember, you didn't write The Green Ember with an idea that you, there's this didactic message you wanted to get through and now I'm going to create a good story to tell it. No. Right. I would not. I mean, I, anybody who reads the book would know that. But I think that unfortunately, especially in Christian literature, modern literature, that tends to be something that happens. And I can't imagine how difficult it is to write a beautiful story like you've done. So (laughs) I'm not a storyteller myself. And so I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm just saying that this is what is so inviting to me about The Green Ember is that I feel like it invites my children into this beautiful world where they can't help but see the truth. Wow. I love that. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're right. It's, I think that there are people who sort of, who are trained to discover the secret meanings and the secret lessons, like they, if those people will find a field day and probably in the green ember and, and I've been that person too. So I understand how that works. And I think we are missing something when we reduce, but yeah, there, there's a lot in there. I think the longing for the kingdom of God is something that, that comes through in the story, but it's not why I wrote the story. And I almost think if God wants to use it that way, then that's, then that would do my heart really good. If it would train our affections to love something that's coming and that's clean and that's beautiful. Then I think that's wonderful. But yeah, I didn't intend actually I, that whole element of the story, the whole cloud mountain and the, the mended wood, that whole thing. That was something that just happened that I didn't even. That wasn't in an outline. That wasn't in the original stories. That just kind of that just sort of happened. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, my daughter, my oldest daughter, has said some rather profound little insights. She's had some profound little insights as when we're reading about the mended wood, and she's thinking about the kingdom of heaven, and she's made these all by herself. You know, she just will. She'll be thinking and you can kind of see her deep in thought and I'll be washing dishes and she'll come up behind me and say something like, so they're waiting, they're waiting for the healing of their wood. They're they're waiting for the healing of their world, just like we're waiting for Christ to heal our world. I'm just, I'm like staring at her like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) That is amazing. And then she's, for her to have come to this kind of understanding without me having to sit down and guide her through some comprehension set of questions to get her there. That's because we are made to love truth and goodness and beauty, I think. And so a really good story, well told, will speak to that natural Mm. affinity we have as humans to connect in that way. So Mm, I love that. That's wonderful. That's so great to hear. But don't you, I feel like you're doing the same thing. You know, I feel like, well, the one thing that I, one of the many things I love about Read Aloud Revival and Amongst Lovely Things and 
your book and just what you guys are doing, what you're doing is that it's not, you're not, I just feel like so many people who are doing, it's like, you need to read with your kids and, you know, and it's like, it's related to sort of guilt. And I think it, it kind of buys into sort of this, the world system of like sweeps week in the news, like things are really bad. They're poisoning your children and you know, you're eating all the wrong things and <laughs> mm-hmm. everyone's going to die on playground equipment. And, and uh, there's horrible wars. And of course there are horrible things, but it's the sort of the pay attention to us because everything is horrible and sort of do this because everything is bad. I think that's sort of our default. I think that's how we're trained yeah, passively and actively. It feels like culturally, but I feel like what you're doing with what I love about the read aloud revival is that you are inviting people and you're saying, this is good. And this is beautiful. This is fun. And you're doing with a smile and you can hear the smile and you can say, this is something that has been valuable for us and we're learning and we're, we're doing this and we want to invite you to come along and do it. And it's very, and so I just feel like there's so much, I feel like that's missing a lot. And I, I hope that we're doing that kind of thing at StoryWorn. And I hope that the green ember is an invitation that it's a, a positive thing, not just positive for being positive, you know, and ignoring very real dangers and horrors in the world. But I love the fact that it's not something, you know, when you hear you talk about reading out loud, when my kids are driving the car with us and we're playing a podcast, you don't have to say, hey, I think if we did this, you know, it would be fun. Like, it's fun. This is going to be fun. Really, we're going to do it. It's like, (laughs) you don't have to explain that because you can hear it. It is. And I love that. I think that's, I think it's a warm, welcoming invitation that doesn't need like sort of directions. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't need labels. Like it's kind of, it's the same thing going back to that sort of intellect and imagination thing. I think that's how God is, you know, in the Bible. I love the Bible. And I love facts and I love doctrine and I love theology. I love it all. But you don't have to teach a kid, you know, that God is powerful right, uh, right. or God is good. When Jesus heals Jairus's daughter, you don't have to say it. You, when you get the story, you get both. You get the fact that Jesus is powerful, that he, can, that he does these amazing things, right. that he's remaking the world, that sick people, you can't be sick around him. He's so incredible. This person, you don't have to say it because there it is. It's in the story and it's an invitation. And I feel like I love how what you're doing, I feel, I feel like mirrors that attitude, which is very contagious. Well, be careful because if you keep complimenting me, I'm going to have you on the show every time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, tell us about future projects. What's next? Please, please tell me there's a sequel coming. <laughs> well, there is a sequel coming. Yes. Okay. okay, I was hoping you'd say that. Okay, <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> I'm working on that. There, we, ha- we do have, I wrote a sort of a novella that's a, kind of a prequel to The Green Ember. In the book, there's a lot of mention of the Black Star of Kingston. and Yes, uh, my son Whitson. is very interested in what happened before. So I'm really glad that you're saying there's a prequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Like when we did the Kickstarter, this was kind of fun, actually. It kind of goes into the the, um, the category of the, our family feeling that this is our book. But for the Kickstarter only, we did a short book. And I wrote kind of, a, it's, it's like a little novella about the Black Star of Kingston. And that, that little, there's a little quote at the very beginning, the prologue of The Green Ember is taken from the Black Star of Kingston. Okay, okay. And we are going to release that sort of out wide, Lord willing, in probably the summer or so. And Zach's working on some illustrations for that now. But what we did for the Kickstarter is we did a just kind of a limited edition. We just printed a hundred of them and it was part of the sort of part of the tier. But my son, Josiah, who's uh, nine years old, he's kind of an illustrator. He's learned a lot from Zach Franzen and from our friend Joe Sutton and, and uh, Aiden Peterson. And he's learned a lot from them. And he kind of, he did the illustrations for this little special edition. We did a little special edition of the Black Star. Oh, and very cool. Okay. A bunch of his drawings. In. So that's kind of exciting, but we're going to release that to the public. And that's in the summer. That's exciting as far as me, myself. And then I'm not sure when the sequel to the Green Ember will be out. I mean, we'd love to, we'd love to have it out by Christmas, but I don't know if that's going to be possible. But I'm working on it. And I'm uh, feeling a lot of pressure from people like you. Uh, <laughs> well, well <laughs> how about instead of pressuring you, I'll just say I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you Thanks. that it'll be out by Christmas because I want it in my children's Christmas stocking. So how's that for no pressure? No, just kidding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best. I'll, try to, I'll make it short and stocking sized. <laughs> Oh, well, whatever you do is going to be wonderful. And we will continue. The whole Read Aloud Revival community will continue to pray for the wonderful work you're doing. So I almost forgot to ask you this question, and it's my favorite one. <laughs> I think it might give my guests usually an anxiety attack. So we'll see how you do with it. Are you up for it? Yes. I'm breathing into a, a paper bag right now. <laughs> Very <Try>. good. 
If you were on a deserted island and could only bring three books with you, which would they be? Wow. I think, so we're saying that the Bible is out probably, right? I mean, that is a book, so but I'm going to assume that everybody wants the Bible probably, or should. Um, so if I'm not taking the Bible, or if I can't take the Bible, or if the Bible is already there, like in the drawer of the hotel on the island, and I can just take three other ones, I would probably take, I don't know, this is really tough. I would take the Lord of the Rings, because I can just, I feel like I'm going to read that a hundred times in my okay. life. I've read it so many times, so I just love that. I can't. That's definitely one. Two, I'm picking all fiction, too, because I want to fit into the stereotype of a fiction author. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, imagine me with a beret and a goatee. And so, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, the, uh, let's see. So, number two, this is, I'm going to cheat on this one. I listened to a lot of audiobooks and Audible, I bought all of the Sherlock Holmes stories. So it's 70 hours of Sherlock Holmes. So Are I'm counting kidding? that. Oh my goodness. Who reads those? Do you, ha- you don't happen oh, to know probably. I can't remember his name, okay. but he's a good reader. It's not the best, but I thought 70 hours and it wasn't that expensive. And I, anyway, that's, so I come back to Sherlock Holmes a lot. I don't know when I'm in between books, I just come back to those stories. I love them because they are, they're ones that I, I feel like there's something about them that just kind of, it's calming. Uh, there's, this is probably worth saying, but I talked to my, my brother-in-law who is a U.S. attorney and he, he works in the law and he works in law enforcement. And he has these sort of horrible conversations all the time with folks and people having very, very difficult, horrible lives, making terrible decisions, a lot of violence and a lot of mistreatment mm-hmm. of women. Mm-hmm. He says he comes back to Sherlock Holmes sort of as a way to feel kind of clean or as a way. He says he loves the way that the men talk to the women. Oh, interesting. I've never read Sherlock Holmes. I probably shouldn't admit that on air, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I mean, it's, I love the stories. They're just, they're great. But that, I, I feel like that was something I kind of resonated with that because I keep coming back to them too. And he just said, I love that what he said there, that, that he hears so much bad talk about women and so many men that sort of talk and, mis- and mistreat women. But he loved to hear just men talking to women in a respectful way. I think there's something attractive about this sort of Jane Austen and sort of a more orderly society, I think the Victorian sort of era, I think, is appealing to us partly because I think we want that order. We want people to be respectful to each other. We want women to be treated well and with respect. And I don't know, I love that. So that was a really long answer, but Sherlock Holmes is Perfect. number two. And then three, my, probably my favorite novel or one of my favorite novels that I feel like I could read 50 times and still be trying to figure it out <laughs> is uh, Till We Have Faces by C.S. Mm. Lewis. Because we have to have Lewis. If I can't take, maybe I'd take all of the Narnia books together and I would take that maybe instead. But if I had to take one of his novels or one of his books, it would be Till We Have Faces because it's profound, deep and beautiful. And it's his best novel according to his own estimation. Is that right? I did not not know that. Yeah, it's one of his least known probably and maybe least loved of all of his novels but it is fantastic and i love them all i love all of all of the ransom trilogy i love of course narnia well i've read a lot of lewis but i will say i have not actually read till we have faces yet but that just flew to the top of my list so thank you (laughs) it's it's wonderful it's wonderful and i I feel like i've read it three times i read it the wrong way like misunderstanding the whole point oh interesting (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) so it's it's fantastic it's kind of like you almost need to read a lot some other things in order to understand it's kind of like if you read that hideous strength you have to kind of read the abolition of man or you can read them together and it's kind of like they're just symbiotic almost they're just yeah go together and but just tell you this is is brilliant it's deep there's some depth to it what you think is happening is not happening and what you who you think is heroic is not heroic it's just you will love it. But I, for me, I have to read it like over and over again. Now, that's one reason I would take it to the desert island because I would probably read it a hundred times. Yeah. And like the hundredth time, I would say, oh, I'm finally starting to understand I I this. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's are, how those, those great are... minds are. That's how I am with Andrew Kern too. <laughs> I listen to Andrew yeah. Kern. And I, by the time I've listened to his the same talk four times, I go, oh, wait a second. I think I'm starting to understand. <laughs> it's like I'm starting to get that diamond, on, you know, that yeah. varnished truth. Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way about like G.K. Chesterton. I'm, mm-hmm. I love him, but I'm kind of like back that up, listen to that again, or yes, exactly. back up and read that again, and maybe I'll you know read Orthodoxy again, you know, fifty times and thinking, All right, I think I'm getting this. This you know, it's like one page of his of Orthodox is like a hundred books. Yep, <laughs> so, exactly. So rich. Thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting with me. This has been wonderful. I knew it would be. Thank you so much for having me on, Sarah. I really. Like I said, a big fan of what you guys, what you're doing. 
love it and we're so grateful for this community and how you guys have embraced what we're doing with the green ember it's uh we're very grateful very special to us now it's time for let the kids speak this is my favorite part of the podcast where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them My name is Monica. I wanted to tell you about my baby sister's favorite book. I think her favorite book right now is The Pow Pow Fish. She probably likes it, I think, because there's this Pow Pow Fish in the book. And sometimes when she brings it to Mama, the book, she says Pow Pow or Blub. And her name is Emma. She's almost two years old. And we live in Indiana. Hi, my name is Nathan, and my age is eight. My favorite books are Hush Little Dragon and No David. I like them because they have rhyming words, nice illustrations, and especially the lesson learned in them. And I like Hush Little Dragon because Hush Little Dragon is about a baby dragon that eats anything, and the mother dragon helps him eat it. And... In No David, it's nice that the illustrations are really been detailed by the children and the mother in the side. And also that the mother is trying to tell him No David because he just keeps on doing stuff. My name is Helen and I am 8 years old. I live in New Jersey. My favorite read aloud book is A to Z Mysteries. I like this book because it's about mysteries and kids finding out the answer. That was fantastic. Thanks, kids, for your recommendations. And a huge thanks to Sam Smith for coming on the show and sharing his insight with us. I just love the work that he's doing at storywarren.com and also at his own site, which is sdsmith.net. I'll have links to both of those in the show notes, but I'll tell you what. The Warren and the World, which is the weekly newsletter from storywarren.com, is fantastic. I always read it. I never fail. (laughs) And um, I look for it in my inbox. And that's not something that happens very often anymore. I mean, there's so much stuff crowding our inboxes, right? This is something you definitely want to sign up for. A free newsletter, totally worth your while. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find that easily. And actually, (laughs) Sam's emails from his personal site, sdsmith.net, are pretty hilarious and awesome too. So make sure you sign up for both of those and just sort of enter into the world of the green ember and all of these people who are doing such good work, helping us foster the holy imagination in our children. That's all I have for you today. Again, if you want more information about the Read Aloud Revival membership site, head to readaloudrevival.me to go straight there or you can always find podcast episodes, resources, and all kinds of goodies at readaloudrevival.com. Until next time, go build your family culture around books. Mm-hmm.